when good things happen, be there. But when bad things happen or when challenging things happen, make sure you show up and you just give somebody a chance to know you, I've got your back and I'm here with you. Welcome to SSR On Air. I'm Mike Rogers, your host for this monthly podcast brought to you by Smith Seckman Reed. Tune in as I interview leaders, colleagues, and clients about what is going on internally at SSR and in the larger engineering community. Okay, so t- today we're sitting down with Steve Lane, current CEO of SSR, and uh, going to have a little conversation and welcome. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, You've been at SSR for most of your career, not all of it. And my interest in engineering started many, many years ago. Uh, I was 10 or 11 years old. My dad worked for an engineering company. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was the office cleaner. I cleaned the office, uh, ran prints, blueprints. The thing I hated, I emptied ashtrays. Everybody back then smoked a lot. So I just, I was constantly, uh, three days a week, I would go in the office. I would clean the office. And there was all these drawings and stuff all over the floors and walls. And I started thinking, what is this? And then I found out it was blueprints and it was things about what engineers and contractors do, how we build things, how things get built. So I got interested in engineering probably 10 years when I was 10 years old. And I knew that's what I wanted. That's one of the things I wanted to do. I knew that was one of them. Uh, Less the cigarette butts, less some of that other stuff that (laughs) just makes those offices back in the 60s and 70s, pretty, uh, pretty rough. Uh, other thing I want to do is play baseball. Uh, you know, baseball was part of my my life, part of everything I wanted to do. I was fortunate enough to get a baseball scholarship at Vanderbilt. So, I, you know, I wanted to play baseball first. Mm-hmm. Then I knew if that didn't work, uh, there was always engineering. So from early years, that's what that's what I was going to do. I was going to be a professional baseball player, probably for the Cincinnati Reds at the time. I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky, uh, or I was going to be an engineer. And so I got to do the second one. Uh, so that, that, that worked out fine. Couldn't be happier with my career choice. Finished at Vanderbilt. I got a job with an engineering firm after baseball fizzled out. I, I tried that for a little while uh, and it didn't work. So mm-hmm. I went to work for a small engineering company, uh, in a civil environmental engineering firm that happened to be located right behind Smith Seckman office. Uh, and also um, Clay Seckman, whose father was one of the founders, uh, he, uh, his wife now at the time was my wife's sorority sister at Vanderbilt. So they actually mm-hmm. lived in a suite together at Vanderbilt. So I had known Clay Seckman a little bit and mm-hmm. kept seeing this building that said Smith Seckman Reed on it. I never knew what it was. That was in college. They were not far from the Vanderbilt campus. So I'd seen the the name in the office and knew something about them in the early mid mid and late mid to late 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, then but then I went to work for uh, Lewis and Kuhlman Engineers. Our building was right behind the alley for Smith Seckman Reed. So I'd continue to see them, continue to know something about them. In 1982-ish, Smith Seckman Reed was looking to expand some of their businesses. And I I just stopped by one day and interviewed with them. Well, it turns out they offered me a job. And this company that I was working with, uh, I told the the president that I was going to consider leaving. And the next thing I know, he went over and talked to Tom Seckman and said it. 
if Steve's going to come to work for SSR, why don't we all come to work for SSR? So there were 15 or so of us. And so that was SSR's first merger when they bought, it was actually Lewis Engineers at the time. Mm -hmm. So that's how I got here is through an interview process. Uh, my mentor, one of my mentors, Willis Lewis said, let's just all, let's just all go over there. And that's, that's how I got here. Now, one of the kind of the, I think the, the greatest things about that, all 15 or so people that were part of SSR or part of Lewis Engineers at the time, uh, they all came over and every one of them retired at, at SSR. So they continued to work here. They continued to be part of SSR's family. Uh, Kenny Deal was one of those that was, oh. was had been with Lewis Engineers. So there's a, there's a whole group of people that just continued their career and finished it, their career at SSR. I want to, I want to, just kind of frame frame a little bit of your your personality here too, and so tell us a little <laughs> bit about what you do outside of the office. Uh, well, my my personality probably started being through in sports, being so competitive. Mm -hmm. uh, everything I do is about competition. Everything I've ever done is about doing the best you can to put you in a position to compete. And you may not always win, but put mm -hmm. you in a position to compete. So that's been my drive since for as long as I can remember. And it still is. It still is mm -hmm. today. I want us, I want SSR to be in the best, best, petition, or best position possible to compete in everything we do. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to always win. We're not going to always get the project or we're not always going to be successful, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try and shouldn't give us give the best effort we can, and always put mm -hmm. ourselves in the position to take that next step. And that I mean, Mike, you know, I mean, you've worked with me for years. It's yeah. it's about what's next and how we're going to take the next step and how mm -hmm. are we going to continue to advance and and move the business, move each other, and move our success forward. That's a good story. It's a good story. So once you got inside of SSR. Talk a little bit about the the path or the journey to uh, to CEO role. Uh, SSR is traditionally or are mostly known for its mechanical and electrical electrical engineering and plumbing uh, in the healthcare field. Well, I was mm -hmm. a civil engineer trying to do something different here, so it was always like you were pushing rope. It was always like we were trying to do something different that was outside the mainstream of SSR. Uh, so mm -hmm. you know, I was kind of the, and I won't say the outcast, but I was the outsider. Uh, nobody really knew from the core group of SSR really knew what we did. Uh, and they would do their thing on their buildings and we would do our things on the infrastructure. Uh, so, and so I guess I was 28 or 29 years old and was already was running part of our business and, and responsible for it. I think I was about 30 uh, and got put on the board of directors here. So, it was little did they know, or they didn't know exactly what the civil environmental group did. So they, mm -hmm. they allowed me to participate and Lester Smith, Tom Seckman, Andy Reed, they were all very open and willing. Bob, I don't want to miss Bobby. Bobby was a great advocate as well. They were always open to, you know, how can you be you uh, something mm -hmm. else other than a healthcare MEP firm working for HCA? How can we make SSR a better firm? So uh, that's kind of how I got it into this, how I got into the company, how I got into some of the leadership and management positions. So that was late to when I was late twenties and 30 years old. Yeah. So you mentioned, uh, Mr. Lewis from your first company as being one to one of your mentors. How about once you got here, who, who did you look to for mentorship and 
guidance. Yeah, mentors. Gosh, I've had so many of them. Uh, probably, I need to go back a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I've had great mentors. My parents were great mentors for me. Uh, they taught me work ethic. They taught me uh, how to love and respect family and how important that was. Uh, the first mentors that I really think that that outside parents that had an uh, impact on me were some of the, my baseball coaches, mm, yeah. some of the people that taught me how to look at uh, look at a situation, look at an environment, and put you in the best position to compete. Uh, there was one I played on the USA team, and we traveled all over the world. And the, uh, his name was Dick Berquist, and he was uh, a guy that. You know, he was all about preparation. He was all about wanting to make sure you put yourself in the position to do the best you can do and live with the outcome. He he taught me never get too high, never get too low. You got to got to be kind of flatline because life and business and everything's going to throw you curves. So that was one of the things that, that I re really remembered is you don't get too high, you don't get too low. Uh, and there's going to be another day. There's going to be another pitch. There's going to be another job. There's going to be something else that's going to happen yeah. that's going to give you the chance to to continue to uh, elevate your game or elevate your business. Uh, at SSR, I have to say that uh, Lester Smith was probably uh, the, the person that taught me a lot about business. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was very much business focused. And uh, I'll tell a story. I was Pretty young uh, in my career, we had a situation where we, where we had a contractor that had a, a person that died in one of the construction projects we were on. And SSR got sued in that uh, event, and we were claimed responsibility for the safety on the construction site. A uh, small town in West Tennessee, uh, a, a well-known family there. This was their son that was killed in the accident. Uh, SSR was sued, and I spent about two weeks in uh, West Tennessee in a trial, in a lawsuit. Uh, I testified for at least two days in the trial, and they were trying to blame SSR for the contractor's failure to do something. Well, uh, you know, about midway through the first day, Lester Smith, uh, I look out in the courtroom, and Lester's sitting on the back row. And so I'd been there for four or five days by myself. Well, he's there. And and that immediately gave me a kind of a lift, some confidence, and and made me think, gosh, these guys have my back. And I mm -hmm. uh, finished test testifying that night. We, you know, we met outside the parking lot and we ended up, he, he had a, either we he either had the beer in his car or we stopped and <laughs> got beer in Paris, Tennessee. And we sat around that night. And just talked about what had happened the day, you know, how to think about what's going to happen the next day. Yeah. I know we drank a lot of beer. I know we had a lot of, a lot of, a lot of good discussions, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot how learned about how, as you, as you become in a leadership role, you have to do more than take care of yourself. You have to know when there's people that work with you and for you, that are in situations that they may not have been in before, mm -hmm. and how are you going to be there to support them. Lester was always one of the first person, first person people, first persons to show up when something happened, when something good or bad happened. He was always the first one there. And that's something that I've tried to uh, emulate. I, no one can do it as well as Lester uh, does. Mm -hmm. But when good things happen, be there. But when bad things happen or when challenging things happen, make sure you show up and you just give somebody a chance to know you, I've got your back and I'm here with you. Yeah. No, it's good. It's a good story. 
Yeah, I heard that. I mean, I, I've obviously met Lester, but I, I didn't get to work with him, unfortunately. But. Well, it's been fun to have him come back to Connections classes mm -hmm. and, and be part of that. I'm supposed to have dinner, or not dinner, lunch with Lester one day next week. Another interesting story about Lester, and I didn't know this till after I came to work at SSR, my wife's father and Lester were fraternity brothers at Vanderbilt. So there's <laughs> lots of connections that, that go back to uh, SSR and my family and my past yeah. and growing up. Yeah. So, okay, so let's flash forward now to your uh, standing at the doorsteps of, of becoming the CEO. <laughs> when, you, when you first took over that role, what, what were your main objectives or goals at that point? Uh, you know, it, it probably goes back prior to the, the, that CEO transition. Mm -hmm. uh, about 10 or 11 years ago, Rob and I started talking about his succession and his transition. And uh, he, he was talking about creating the chief operations officer role and how are we going to do something to, to, to you know, to kind of create this transitional phase uh, where he could continue in his role. We could start bringing somebody else in that could 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 be part of that succession planning. Uh, so it, uh, 2011 or 12 is when it started. We've been successful mm -hmm. in our own ways. We've done the things that we wanted to do. But had we ever been a high-performing business, uh, a place where people want to work, in, in a, an environment where we were going to create wealth or create prosperity for people that work here? Mm -hmm. And we did okay, but I just never thought we really tackled that as well as we could. Uh, so the first thing that when Rob and, and the board appointed me chief operating officer, I remember talking about three, at least three things. One is we got to change habits and raise expectations. You, Mike, you probably mm -hmm. heard me say that millions of times. Mm -hmm. uh, another is that we must go faster. Mm -hmm. And, and the, that's come from a couple of movies. I like to talk about uh, Jurassic Park and, uh, what was the other one? Independence, Independence Day. Independence Day, yeah, yeah. where, uh, you know, there's either a, a dinosaur chasing or a spaceship chasing these guys, and they're trying to get going, and they, they must go faster. And it's Jeff Goldblum in both that's scenes. Exactly, that's exactly, that's yeah, exactly yeah, what it was. Yeah. So that's how I always felt, you know, we, we had to change our habits and raise expectations about our results. We have to go faster, and we have to create opportunities for us to have more value in this business. So that's that's where it started, kind of in 2012, and yeah. and we've made a significant change in in the the way we approach business, the way we approach success. You know, we have a great place. We've created value. We've seen stock value perform outstanding. Uh, we have high engagement scores where people want to work. So we've done a lot of things to to elevate us into a high performing company and a place where. Uh, there's great opportunities for everybody that works here. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because that, that time aligned back with the big economic turndown, you know, when things were uh, like Clay Lexa said, the tide went out and everybody knew who was skinny dipping at that point, but it was, it was a tough time for a lot of folks. And we came out of that looking, looking back and going, what can we do differently? And that's about the time you took over as, as the operations officer. SSRs uh, in our business, or at least in our firm, uh, we have always been one to two or three years behind a recession or whenever there's a downturn. Mm -hmm. you know, the worst of the U.S. economy occur in that 2008, 2009, mm -hmm. 10 timeframe. We were blown and going. We had sure. uh, very successful years. 2010, 2011 is when things started 
changing. Well, that's what I, mm-hmm. I like to tell Rob. You know, you you had the gravy train. You had the the times when we were really blowing and going. You put me in a position to do something about it. Some of the first things I did was close offices, or we, not me, we closed offices. We looked at staff changes. We, you know, we stopped hiring people. We just made a lot of changes in our business, mm-hmm. and we were forced to. But I think, you know, I, I would say we're going to get smaller, we're going to get stru- we're going to get smarter, we're going to get better, and it's going to be, it's going to help us in the long run. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it did. Yeah, I think it did. So from that time um, as a COO, and then, and then you moved into the CEO role, how do you, how do you see the goals changing from then to now? Because we're quite, quite a bit different firm now in structure and in, in what we're, we're touching in the market. Yeah, one one of the things that that we did in the 2012 and 13 time frame was frame was a uh, organizational restructure for our business. We went from mm-hmm. 34, 38 profit centers, whatever it was, right. uh, to you know four or five or just a handful. So it it was mm-hmm. a whole different view about how we're going to look at, manage, and run our business. We we started trying to integrate people and processes and systems and build some consistency. I think one of the things we decided at that time was we were going to, we wanted to be a hundred, we wanted to continue to be employee owned. It was the time when there were starting to be a lot of mergers and acquisitions, private equity equity firms are starting to Mm -hmm. look at businesses like ours. And and they started thinking, you know, we would be a target to, to have somebody buy us. Well, the management at the time didn't want that to happen. We wanted to continue to be a wholly owned or, or closely held, uh, fully owned by our employees. So we made that decision yeah. and, and we put in place things that would make that happen. Uh, you know, we did the transaction with all the, the individual stockholders owners in 2016. We bought, put in a note for all that. And, uh, and we really took care of the thing that challenges many firms like ours is ownership transition. We mm-hmm. took care of that through our ESOP, uh, ESOP uh, repurchase. So I think we yeah. built, you know, we built an ownership structure. I'll, I'll get to your question in a minute. We <laughs> we built the ownership structure that was repeatable and sustainable. Mm-hmm. And, and then the next thing we had to do was create the leadership structure that was sustainable and uh, could continue our business. Uh, you know, Rob and I, I worked for Rob for many years. He's He is a, a friend. He's a mentor. Uh, he's taught me a lot. Uh, you know, I, I had been close to the CEO chair for a long time. Uh, I, I told him that I would do it, but I'm not going to do it long. I, you know, at the time I was 63 years old and I just don't want to, I'm not going to do that. We, we need to, I'll get to that in a minute, but uh, <laughs> you know, we need to have, uh, I was a placeholder. I was just going to be part of a transitional phase in SSR's history where we went from the baby boomer generation to whatever is going to be next for our business. Uh, what did I think about? I thought it was, I didn't think it'd be a big deal. Uh, but I will tell you the day it actually happened when I became CEO, Rob and I went to a Predators game and we talked and I said, as close as I have been to you, to this chair, it is different. It feels much more, it feels much more different than I expected. And I said, the biggest difference is uh, you know, for many years, I've had one boss, and it was you. And mm-hmm. I kind of knew how to uh, manipulate you or work with you, mm-hmm. or, you know, we could work together to come up with a solution. As CEO, now I have 400 bosses. 
And, yeah. and that's a different mindset that now everybody in the organization has, I have some, or the CEO has some obligation for everybody in the organization. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize it at the time. I didn't re quite realize the, the, the load that Rob had been carrying for so many years. And it's hard to explain it. I mean, until you do it, it's just hard to realize it, but it's, it's like that. Uh, the moment it happens, it, it, it flips, it switches. And, yeah. uh, so, you know, my, my compassion, my sympathy, my support, my praise for Rob, what he'd done and what he'd been able to do for so many years changed immediately. I mean, I get frustrated. I would get frustrated with him and he knows it. And we'd have lots of conversations and, and he, he was the glue he was, and it still has been the glue that sort of kept us together. Thanks for joining us for this episode of SSR On Air. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You can also connect with us on social media. Links to everything can be found in the show's notes. Take care, everyone. See you next time.